Welcome to the Forbes China Entrepreneur Show. We interview experts in tech and business, as well as share news and insights from on the ground in China. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Welcome to episode number four of the Forbes China Entrepreneur Show. I'm Mike Michelini, your host, and I hope everybody's having amazing spring time. The weather's been really warming up here in the south of China. Okay, and now onto the show. We're in for a treat. We have Sam Marks, a founder of the SkySig e-cigarette company, that in 2013 he sold for 60 million pounds sterling, and in the UK, and it was an, it's really an amazing story. And what really makes it relevant to us here in China is that he really credits his、uh, Chinese partners and and his relationships here in China. To build a business and to get towards the, that exit, so I'm not gonna spill the juice too much. I'll let him speak for himself. So let's get right into it. Okay, thank you all for tuning into our Forbes podcast here in China, and we have on the line with us Sam Marks, who has had a great exit of his company SkySig for a hundred million dollars. So thank you for being on a call with us today. Glad to be here, Mike. Thanks. Sure. So. Of course, we're going to focus on on that story, but maybe you can give us a little bit of background as an entrepreneur, what you were doing before you got into SkySig. Yeah, sure. Happy、uh, to give you a little background. So, SkySig started in、uh, 2009, and prior to that, I was just kind of a,、um, I guess, a, a budding entrepreneur in different ways. My first entrepreneurial kind of initiative was in college. I started a website called TheGreekFaces.com, and this was when Facebook was at only.、Um, About twelve or fifteen different colleges in the U.S., and I looked at the site and said, "Well, this is really great, and everyone at my school is jumping on board. And why don't we do this for something that I know, which is Greek life, fraternities and sororities?" So, decided to kind of just emulate what Facebook was doing, and then just niche it down to the to another level that I knew well, and that was the Greek faces, and built that out with a developer friend of mine who came on as a partner, and we、um, kind of developed it over the next two years, and never really knew what we had. If it was valuable, and we didn't understand the traffic we had and the growth we had, and we didn't know how to make money with it, but it was all growing, doing doing great, and、um, exciting to be kind of having something that's a social community that you're controlling. And、uh, when I was a senior in college, we ended up selling that to to the guys that own College dot com. And after college, I went and worked with them as kind of、um, directing manager and in charge of marketing there. And、uh, fortunate enough that they were able to sell that business about a year after. I was with them, and、um, and then per- started pursuing other other things online. Did a lot of affiliate marketing. Got into that game, continuity programs, learning how to deal with big affiliate networks and little niche ones, and、um, and then after that, got involved with another startup called Booked, which was a a platform for hotels and、um, any type of really lodging or vacation rental managers to really develop and build their own business, both with a back end CRM and a front end. Optimized website, and、um, I was with that for about two years. Just myself and the two founders grew that to a very substantial business, and、um, owned a significant part of the business in stock options. And decided that I wanted to、uh, to start SkySig with a couple other guys, and then、um, walked away from Booked. And Booked actually just had a, a great exit last January. It was acquired by、um, a public company called RealPage. So、uh, everything worked out very well for them. Glad I'm, I'm still very, very friends with all of them, and、um, things worked out well with us at SkySig. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely. So you've definitely gone through a lot of different entrepreneurial ventures, and maybe you can just share with some of the skills that you developed early on as an entrepreneur. Yeah, sure. I think the 
by and far the largest skill I developed that has helped me as an entrepreneur was was learning how to market online, and that that most of that came through um, affiliate marketing, just learning how to structure um, ad campaigns and and work with uh, different people that had offerings and manufacturing and brands and learn how to make sales online. And, and that's such a huge part of, of business for anyone's business today, especially, you know, when you talk about entrepreneurs our age and, um, and even younger, uh, it's learning how to market products across the web or, or, um, or mobile interfaces. So I would attribute a lot of my success to that. And then on top of that, it's really just learning how to be a good project manager and, if you look at uh, any type of startup that goes from you know two people in a basement to a hundred person company, the people that are in charge of that business are just going to have to learn how to be great project managers because no matter what you're doing in the business, it's just a series of new projects that are always popping up, and someone's got to someone's got to drive them. And as a startup, you can't always go out and hire someone with with twenty years of experience that knows how to run that. So you're going to have to stand in that position and learn how to run it. And and just learning how to to um, to run a process, bring someone in to and delegate it, and have them run it, um, I think is a very important skill set to be able to learn how to have. Definitely, I would agree. Uh, yeah, we're definitely living in a digital world and an online world, and and learning how to to work with uh, internet marketing and also project management is is extremely important. Was probably also remote, right? Where was your team in house, or was it all online, or? Uh, well, for for almost everything that I've ever done, it's been remote, and this this goes back to 2005. Now, of course, SkySig. Once we we grew and grew, we end up centralizing. But everything else, for the most part, it, you know, you might have one or two of the founders that are under the same roof, but 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 we grew up in a kind of an outsourced world over over platforms like Odesk and and Elance, and um, yeah, it's it's learning how to to deal with the different cultures and different time schedules and, um, and everything that goes with that. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, learning how to re- work remote in a, in a disciplined fashion and keep everyone accountable is a, also a very important skill set. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, yeah, I love the online world, right? We're, we're talking over on the other side of the world to each other, you know, and people all over the world can listen to this show and, and learn and have teams spread out throughout the world. It's, it's definitely a, advantage but also challenges and, and if we could learn that as entrepreneurs to, to maximize that is a great advantage yeah i agree completely i mean we're actually speaking of like you mentioned we're, we're 12 hours apart right now so yeah <laughs> it's awesome right <laughs> it is great so you briefly mentioned a little bit about how sky sig started maybe expand that a little bit for us Sure. So we were busy at the time doing affiliate marketing and we were learning how to sell products in the healthcare vertical online very well, very efficiently. And I was out at one of these affiliate conferences in Las Vegas at the, the ripe age of uh, 23, I believe. And, uh, and we were just going around meeting with different people that had brands and offers and you know everything you do at affiliate conferences. And we ended up having, at the time, we were doing really large volumes with different types of, of diet supplements. And some guy who we ended up staying in contact with came knocking on a door in Vegas, in one of the hotels in Vegas. I can't remember which one it was at the time, but he came knocking on his door and it was, it was actually a Chinese manufacturer who had one of the most early stage uh, e-cigarettes. And he came in, his English was quite broken, and um, he was showing us his product and saying, hey, you know, can you guys sell it, basically? And we took a look at this thing, and it was, you know, it wasn't very good. It was super primitive. But we're like, wow, look at that technology we've never seen before. And if 
if this gets good, this could be this could really disrupt tobacco. And this was back in 2007, so way way before e-cigarettes were really commercialized or, or popular. And um, so we kind of kept our finger on the pulse and, and watched what was going on in the industry, and, and not much happened for the next year. And then we saw a couple companies in the U.S. start popping up. And what happened was some of these companies we could tell were obviously not run very well or, or kind of these um, like um, one-off affiliate offers. Then we noticed a couple brands that were starting to develop, and we had a couple contacts that were in processing and fulfillment, and we tapped those to see if anyone knew what was really going on. And sure enough, some of the processors were like, "Hey, we know what's going on. These guys are doing huge, huge volumes. You need to take a look." And um, so we studied those business for a little bit and said, "You know what? This is this is the right time and the right opportunity. Let's take this to the next best market where there's not a lot of competition yet, and that happened to be the UK." And we said. Um, Time is right, and let's go start this in the UK. Awesome, that's really great. Um, at the beginning, you were talking about this Chinese manufacturer knocking on your hotel door. So I'm curious: is that like did he did he seek you out, or was he just going like door to door? Well, I think at the time we were we were one of the two or three largest affiliates in the space. Uh, not 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 myself, but a group of us that kind of collaborated and gotten together and kind of made a name for ourselves. So. Um, you know, we, we were making a lot of noise at the conference and and running around and and uh, touting our skills and ability. And we never saw him at the booth, but you know, some somewhere, some somehow, just like so many people uh, email you a spam every day, somehow they get their email address. This guy got our, our uh, room number, and it, um, it it was a good it was a good match. And we never never end up using the guy for manufacturing. Kind of lost contact with him, but uh, but he definitely introduced us to the category and and is eventually why we got into the business. That's that's pretty awesome. And then our I know you're you're American like like me, right? So you went to the UK. How did how did you just so you said the yeah, cuz it was kind of coming in the US, so you saw opportunity maybe in the UK, maybe uh did anybody in your team have have experience there or, or, or local? We had done a bit of marketing, so we kind of expanded some, the targets of, or the demographic and, and geographic targets of our affiliate campaigns to to Europe and and UK is certainly the easiest to go in as as an American because it's all English and and a lot of um, the same marketing tactics work. So we just looked at the UK as kind of a launch pad for Europe, and we had some advertising contacts there. But more than that, we looked at what e-cigarettes were and why they worked. And when you look at the UK and why well, why e-cigarettes sell as a whole, the UK is a prime market. You have a fairly health conscious group of people. You have extremely expensive cigarettes. You have cold weather, so everyone wants to smoke indoors, but they can't because they have the smoking ban. So there's a lot of reasons that the e-cigarettes sell very well in the UK. And of course it was English, so it was an easy it was an easy market for us to go in and penetrate. Yeah, that's that's really smart. And I think hopefully listeners are picking up on on your like you know, the way you're thinking about your market, right? You're, you're analyzing the market even before you entered, right? You had already had this idea, right? You weren't just kind of like randomly like feeling around you, you, you were targeting where you thought was the right place to go. So that, that's a really, really good thing. And so also like, so then we're talking about online business. Was this purely distributed online or was it retail or, or maybe? Yeah, we started online. That's all we knew. You know, we were, 
we were basically affiliate marketers at the time. We'd done other online businesses, but we really knew how to market online. And this ended up being one of the great advantages and great strengths of our businesses and business and, and one of the end reasons that we were successful was because we started from an online base where we could run a very profitable cash flow efficient business where a lot of the other people that came into the market were distributors or they were their traders they had some type of retail distribution that they were plugging product into so that takes a lot more cash and it and the margins are not as good as as well so the entire time we were building strength of our brand online and on the internet where there was there really when we got into the UK market there was almost no competition so we spent the first 6 months just building up brand spent a lot of money on SEO spent a lot of attention with affiliates so we were just covering the web and anytime you you googled e-cigarettes in the UK we were number 1 and we remain that way even to today and so we were able to build a brand now distribution wise and sales wise other companies were growing faster than us because you can imagine if you have retail distribution to 5,000 stores in the UK and you can plug them in right away, well, all of a sudden people are going to stores and they're starting to see your brand and that's huge. Whereas no one was really going online at the time and looking for e-cigarettes. So here we are running a nice efficient online business, but no one's really seeing it. No one's really seeing that brand where the distributors that had, you know, had retail spots in, in five different stores Everyone's getting used to seeing their brand. So they're building a, a huge presence for the actual category. But then when people were go on and, and, and see these, these brands online, and then, and then what is this? What is this? Is it an e-cigarette? Let me go home and research it. And boom, there we were. So we always said, we'll let everyone else build the category and build the presence, and we'll build the brand. And, th- and that's really what we did for the first, first two years until we kind of tapped out the, the online volume that we thought we could achieve with kind of traditional marketing tactics that we had. Uh, and then at that point, we decided it, it was it was time to go retail. Awesome. And maybe, yeah, I have no clue how to do retail. Honestly, I'm, I'm more like online guy. And I think maybe a lot of listeners are too. But what was so then? But you, I guess you already had the cash flow at that time from your online business to then invest into retail. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good point. And I mean, it's going retail is is an absolute beast. It it takes. People that are much smarter than me and a lot smarter than most businesses have. There's so many considerations, obstacles, liabilities that no one that you know. When, when you decide to go into retail, when we decide to go into retail, it, we, we had no idea what we were really getting into, which is the reason we went into retail. Because <laughs> if you turn around and say, "Wow, if you had to go through all that again, would we have done it?" It's it's a tough it's a tough question to answer, but. What what also one of the things that we had advantage of is is as Americans which America being the biggest e-cigarette market in the world at the time and, and still is, is we were paying attention to a lot of what was going on there. And we, we were, again, kind of watching businesses there grow. And we realized that all their growth was in retail. So, yeah, they were running nice businesses online. But as soon as businesses really started getting retail foothold, they were just exploding. Their volumes were exploding. So we knew we had to do it. We just didn't know how. And, um, you know, it's, it's a very challenging thing. Like I said before, there's, there's your cash flows. You have to buy product from a supplier in advance. You land it. Then you have to give it to retailers on 60-day credit terms versus an online business. You buy it. You ship it air freight. You sell it the next day. It processes in four days. Money's in the bank, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, and then you know, to get it into these retail, you know, into these retail locations, it wasn't like turning a switch and saying, "Okay, we're in ten thousand stores." It was, 
okay, we got we got to do this from the ground up. We go we have to go out and hire sales forces and knock on doors and get in stores one by one by one because if you're going to get into the major multiples like Tesco and and um, you know in the, in the UK it's Booker's Cash and Carry which is similar to Costco in the US. They, they take so much margin. They want product for less than you can make it from your manufacturer. So, you know, for a product like ours, we were, we were trying to establish ourselves as a premium brand and, and more of a, um, a high-end product. We couldn't afford to get in those stores. We would have we would be, we would been taking, you know, a loss on, on all the sales. So we had to get into the independent stores, which took sales teams. And um, so to your point, yeah, we, we had the cash flow at that time from the online business. So we were literally just rolling over all of our profits every single month into retail just to build that re- retail foothold and it's it, it, it's a massive massive operation and uh uniting the two online and off offline businesses is is also a big struggle but in the end that is your infrastructure online is is a brand and and you can run efficient business but when you can get into 10 or twenty thousand stores you have a a big business with infrastructure and network and um and i think ultimately our decision to go into retail is one of the reasons that we were able to exit at a, at a good time. Awesome. Great. So now well, let's hop onto the other side of the world. Let's go into China a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so you, you had your previous experience or your advantages of being on the China? What was your presence in China at the time or, or experience with China? Yeah, sure. So right after I went to the UK to kind of start setting up the front side of the business and the brand in, in the UK, we started, of course, having a lot of problems with the product, and and this was our first our first stab at a at a product business. So we we were essentially just licensing technology and product that was already established in the market, but we didn't understand the product. We didn't really know how it was made or how it was tooled. And we didn't know how it could be improved, um, and everything was being innovated in China. This was these were Chinese manufacturers that were creating the product and putting it on Alibaba and putting it for sale, and we were just putting a really nice brand on it. So we decided that uh, I would go spend a couple of weeks and and deal with you know looking at the suppliers. I'd never been to China before. I flew into Hong Kong, got a <laughs> took the MRT over to China, and um, you know not speaking any English, kind of made my way to a manufacturer. We were too small at the time that they wouldn't even pick us up. And the <laughs> the, the 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 great story of what happened was on my second visit there, just kind of fishing around for different suppliers. I got super sick, super sick, the sickest I've ever been in my life. And I didn't, or food or <laughs> no, no one knows, you know, like I, I, it was, it wasn't, it was only like a 48 know. hour thing, but it was really, really bad. And I didn't know who to call because the, all the manufacturers were deep, deep in Shenzhen. They weren't like right on the border. They were, you know, down, back, uh, out in uh, Shajin town or a couple, couple hour drive. And almost no one at the factory spoke any English. But there was one guy that spoke English, and I kind of talked to him briefly, and he gave me his number. And so I didn't know who to call. I'm at the I'm at the hospital, of course. Call my parents. I'm like I'm deathly ill in the middle Horrible. of China. I don't know what to do. And um, so I called this guy. I'm like, look, I don't know what to do, but I'm really, really sick. So he comes and picks me up, takes me to the emergency room. The emergency room is is short staffed. They put an IV in me, and he literally sits there while I, they don't even have a room for me, and I'm in the the waiting hall laying down across benches and he literally sits there and holds the, the IV liquids over me for the next 12 hours. Whoa. And so as I start to recover, I start to like talk to this guy just on a, on a personal level and we're going over, you know, our visions for the business. And somehow he gets this, this table mat, like a, a traditional you know, uh, dinner table mat. He puts it on my chest 
And he goes, you see this, this, this representing the entire table, man, this is, this is the tobacco industry, <laughs> right? And, and look at this little thread coming off the corner of it. That's the e-cigarette industry. And then he kind of gestured with hand, his hand and said, but all of this kind of made a, a gesture towards 50% of that. This could all be the e-cigarette industry. And this was when e-cigarettes were really still very small. And I thought, wow, the, how, 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 like, how impressive and intuitive for this, this kind of this, this Chinese engineer to, to, to come up with this vision. And so we started talking about ideas and ideas and my ideas and his ideas and how we can improve the product and, and innovate on the next level and really make them mainstream. And it was just like a light switch went off. Like me and this guy we happened to be the exact same age. It was like we're brothers from a you know a different world. And uh, we said at that point, I'm like, look, we have we're, we're going to have the volume in six months. We don't have it now, but I know what we're doing. And we need someone who can, you know, wants to innovate and wants to change things and, and, and make this mainstream with us. And he said, well, you know, if, um, if you have that much confidence and you have that much confidence in me, we can try to do, you know, a joint venture together. So that was kind of the start of um, our, our really boots on the ground relationship in China and what eventually turned into a joint venture and um, a, a tremendous relationship. And one of the, the key advantages, again, of us being successful that's a pretty amazing story there. There's always, we always have these stories, right? Coming into, into China and how we meet, meet these, meet these manufacturers. But that's a, that's one I'm going to always remember here. So, so it's a joint venture and maybe you can ex- expand on that. Did that help you in, in Europe with your branding and your, and your growth? Uh, tremendously. I mean, I, I honestly cannot imagine of doing the business and even stepping back now being outside the business for a while and having dealt with manufacturing and product development even more. I mean, there's just no way that I, I feel that we could have won in the business without that relationship. And, and a lot of that is attributed to being flexible and coming over and spending time and, you know, building a relationship, building a relationship with any supplier, but going to China and, and spending months on end with, um, with a partner there. I mean, it was a supplier, but it became our business partner. And, um, just growing that relationship. I mean, the, the benefits of doing that were just, you can't even count them. Um, setting up our own manufacturing facility that no one could visit versus where I could walk into any other manufacturing facility of any of our, of our competitors and watch exactly what they're doing, see their volumes, see their product development, see their new designs, see their packaging, you know, everything, all, all their secrets are away because they've never gone there and built that relationship. And, um, and we did. And so, you know, for that reasons, there's, of course, the exclusivity, there's the privacy of, of everything you're doing from, from design and packaging to all your volumes. You're going to, of course, have a cost benefit there because, you know, with that relationship and that trusted relationship that our, our partner on the, on the manufacturing side, he just wants to see our volumes go up. So there's, of course, you know, a cost balance there. And then, um, and then the quality, like the quality just went through the roof because, you have that relationship and now all of a sudden they care and, and you're in this joint venture together and the bigger that the, the brand grows in the UK, the bigger the joint venture is going to grow and the more it's going to support and benefit all the parties involved in it. So, you know, I ended up going over and spending months and months on end and I loved it. It was, it was great working with the team there and we had we ended up having 500 employees in Shenzhen at the factory and we built a... <laughs> We built an awesome, awesome facility, you know, with game rooms and lunch halls, and and um, it, it was a really special time. And and uh, the benefits to the business, you know, like I said, they just can't be counted. That's yeah, that's really, really cool. So 
I, I don't know if you're allowed to disclose, but how would you, how did you bring it? Was this structured in China or was this structured over overseas or on the corporate structure? Sure. It was, it was structured in, in China. We used, uh, we used a group of Chinese attorneys and, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite complicated to set it up for sure, but we got the, the appropriate legal help that, that both parties agreed on. And it took, um, I want to say it took about five to six months to actually set up. And it's, there's, a, there's a lot of rules and challenges in, in doing so. But, you know, we were never in it to, for the money. We were in it for all the intangible benefits and having that relationship there and making sure that our product quality was good and, and, uh, and that everything that we were doing was, was going to be secret. Because I had spent enough time over there that, to know that, you know, really anyone could go over there and, and get trade secrets. Yes, yeah, true. So, yeah. you know, as, and again, this was because we were trying to, to be a full-scale business instead of just someone that's just sprinkling kind of unbranded product around, we just had to have that stuff secure and, and all the designs and packaging, we just, we had to have that stuff secure. So we really did it for the intangible benefits. We actually never made much money off it, if anything, but, um, but having what you could call your own facility there and walking to a facility that was branded SkySig and everyone was wearing SkySig shirts was, it makes the whole business just feel so much more well-rounded. And it, and it was, um, it was a much more full scale business at that point. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And I, yeah, I always kind of almost chuckle when I just sometimes I just randomly go to a factory. And like you said, like I can see like the even big brands like in the West, I can see their assembly, their packaging, like I could almost probably if I really wanted to I could just ask to see their their numbers. <laughs> like it's really is amazing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, credit to anyone who's going and spending time in China because there's just so many people that don't, they, they want to stay over and, you know, their cozy office and, and not go out and figure it out and build those relationships. So it's just, it's something that is absolutely necessary. I think for startups and really businesses of all size to go over and, and meet and build those relationships and the benefits that you'll get from, from doing so and spending time there are, um, invaluable. Cool. I totally agree. And I hope more do take take our advice and, and get over here. So let's move on to the exit. Did you did you have this end did you begin with the end in mind? Sometimes these these books say to to have a have your exit prepared before you even start. Maybe you can discuss maybe your thought at the start and, and your exit strategy. Sure. So when we started the business it was it was not we're going to get acquired by a tobacco company. It was, this is a great opportunity. It kind of falls in line with what we're doing already. And it's something that we can probably scale. And with affiliate marketing, I mean, I got to, I must say it is one of the greatest businesses in the entire world. I mean, anyone who's done a consumer product business and done affiliate marketing, they're always wanting to look at affiliate marketing and go, God, things were so easy. Why don't I just keep doing that? Because you, you have ad spend here and you have revenue here. The consumer product business is just it's just a beast. So when we were we got into it, we really didn't know that, you know, we can you know, we what's an exit, right? we 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 had sold businesses before, but they weren't a nine, ten figure range of any sort. So we we just wanted to build a great operation that supported a, a more international lifestyle. And we, we didn't really know what we were getting into until the wheel started clicking. And once we started putting up volumes similar to what we were doing on the affiliate side of things, but now we actually own the business and we own the brand and we had a face to what we were doing. So at that point, we kind of looked at what was going on in the industry and said, wow, this, this is not a gimmick of a product. This is something that has the ability to completely disrupt 
and revolutionize tobacco. And um, at that point is when we really sat down and said, let's put together a strategy on, on where to take this. And it was never, should we do an IPO or let's get acquired by a certain category? It was, let's build this as big as we can and then we'll worry about how to make money off it at the end. Awesome. And maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, profit taking versus reinvesting earnings. Like, uh, were you, did that change in the middle or did you, or maybe you can just talk about your plans for profit taking and, and growth? Absolutely. Uh, it's a, it's a, a very challenging topic and strategy when you have mixed partners that are in different, I would say emotional levels, but also different. That also goes with financial levels. So you had me who was kind of this young buck, you know, for the majority of the business, I was 25, 26, 27 years old. I had money, but I was really excited about this business and the, and the profits that we were making each month. And I had other people involved in the business that could care less about taking any type of profits a month. They were in it for how big can we build this and how big of an exit can we make? So we had this really lean, mean e-cigarette machine that was rolling and, and spitting off spitting off profits each month so you know there are certain people on the team that say let's take this you know this is great we, we don't know where this business is going to go you, you have all types of potential government issues litigation you don't know how long this wave is going to roll so let's let's take profits now and then you have others who say no that's this isn't a business that you're going to sit back and, and take um, a dividend each month this is a business that we're going to reinvest the, the earnings and the growth. And so that was a, a really challenging part because, you know, for me, I, had, I hadn't been in a, a business that had grown to such scale in the past. So it's good to have those experience and to have advisors that, that really know what to do at certain points and can analyze the industry you're in and the growth that you're in. Because these are all questions that, especially me, when we're going through our, our, what I would consider hyper growth, I didn't know the answers to that. And luckily, there was people there to say, this is a business you can't be worried about taking profit from. You need to reinvest this in the growth and do it big, and um, and good things will come in the end that are that are much more uh, financially beneficial than than what you could take a month now. So, very early on, we started reinvesting all of the profits in the growth, and and that eventually became almost all retail and office and employee expansion to a point we got to about um, fifty or sixty employees, two two offices in the UK. The joint venture, of course, took money to set up and and resources. So you know we had a, a very large business, and it's it could only have been possible by uh, by reinvesting and not not taking. I totally agree. I'm 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 more on your side with reinvesting, and I think a lot of us have had you know partners that like you mentioned a little bit with different different goals or or uh, risk tolerances, and I've I've had my share too in the past with that. Uh, maybe you we're talking about partners a little bit. I know that that's always tricky and you can maybe share as much as you're, you're comfortable with, with like, you know, advice or mindset on equity partners in, in, in a startup. Mm -hmm. My, my view is always that it, it depends on where, what you want to do with a business. If you're, if you're setting up more of this kind of digital entrepreneur and, and, um, something that's much more lifestyle bound, then it's, it's one way. If you're, if you're sitting there and saying, all I care about is building a huge business and doing this right, then of course your mindset's a different way. So, you know, since I was 25, my drive was always, I want to do, I want to do something really, really big. I, I don't need to float around and, 
and live on a, in a beach house and, and, uh, support, you know, a minimum lifestyle. I, I just want to build a big business, something that's meaningful, something that is good for society, something that, that has a face and, and you can build a reputation around. So with that mindset, you have to bring on the right people at the right time. And you can't always bring on people for money. I'm, I go through it <laughs> even with all my new businesses the best people are not going to take, you know, a $10,000 a month salary or, or, or even more. They're going to, they want equity. They want to be part of something. They want to build something with you and with a team. And so to do that, you have to give up equity. And there's all different types of ways to structure it. And of course, there's risks and there's, there's a lot of partnerships that don't work out. There's many more partnerships that don't work out than do work out. And there's the majority of businesses that fail because of partnerships, not because of lack of opportunity. So you have to be very careful in, in who you bring on. You need to vet those people well and understand where they are emotionally in their lives and see how it all, all is to drive together. But I'm a, I'm a big proponent of giving up equity to bring the right people in. And if, you're, if your goal is really to build um, business, like a nine-figure business or, or, or an eight-figure, a nine-figure, even 10-figure business, it doesn't really matter if you end up owning – Five percent, or ten percent, or twenty percent. If you own five percent of a billion-dollar company, you're still super rich and not going to know what to do with all the money. It's just a matter of getting there, and by getting there, you have to bring in the right people at the right time. So, I think for anyone out there that wants to build something meaningful, they need to put in the time to find the right partners, the right advisors, and to get those right people, you're going to have to incentivize them with equity. Yeah, I, I do agree there, and this kind of leads into the next. The next question is. You know, it was a great, a great exit on SkySig, and maybe I'm sure the team is probably one of your answers. But maybe you can talk about some of the major factors that you think contributed to that success. Yeah, sure. Um, I think one being um, that that we were very flexible, and because of my position being, I was 25 at the time when uh, when we started, I was extremely hungry and flexible. So, for the entire lifespan of the business. Over the next three and a half years, I never slept in the same bed more than five days in a row. I was literally bouncing all over the UK, China and back almost every two, three weeks, all over Europe. And then, of course, I wanted to get home and see my parents um, in the US. But that, having that flexibility where you don't have to send someone to go do a job for you, you intimately knowing the procedures of the business can get on a plane or a bus or a train or wherever and be wherever the business needs you at that time was extremely valuable. The joint venture and the relationships in China were invaluable to the business and, and one of the key successes. And I think really have us understanding online businesses and affiliate marketing allowed us to get in and we really created a profitable business in about four months. That's from sourcing product, building a website, putting it online and starting to sell goods. Immediately had a, a profitable business. And we only could do that because of our skill set as internet marketers. And that got us through the next 12 to 15 months of building up cash flows and cash reserves that we could then scale the office, scale employees, and um, and start rolling some profits into retail. If we had started as retail first, we never would have had the cash or the branding or the network and, and consumer base to to have uh, to have grown as quickly as we did and, and with the cash that we had. Awesome. Yeah, it's definitely some great, great advice here. And Maybe we can give a little bit of story about – so you work with investment bankers on your exit. Maybe you can give a little bit of uh, how that worked and how it sure, supported sure. We, the deal. We, um, around the time that we were starting to make decisions of how to grow to the next level, this is when retail started to take a little bit of a foothold and 
a lot of changes were going on in the industry. There was a lot of uh, a lot of competitors that were starting to raise money. Tobacco was was starting to take a, a moderate interest in the industry, and and we didn't really know, you know, how to go how to continue to grow it as we had on our own money as we, we were privately funded, and so we started just looking around for different options. One of the options being, well, let's let's raise private equity and um, we'll scale into new countries and and uh, grow retail at a much faster rate. And the other one was, well, maybe this is a good time to exit. And that was, of course, always in the back of your mind uh, as an entrepreneur and you're building a business. You think, well, how, you know, maybe it's a good time to exit, but how does the exit even come by? And you, you know, you turn on Yahoo News or, or anything and you see so-and-so was acquired for X. And you're like, how did that happen? Like, did, did Google just go knock on their door and say, hey, we want to buy you? Did they email customer service and say, Hey, we want to, we're inquiring about buying your business. Like I never knew how businesses were really sold, at least like, you know, like tech startups. So we, you know, we ended up, um, having a contact at an investment bank in London. We had a conversation with them and they were, they're super down to earth guys like us. They weren't big corporate type of advisors. They were, they're very, um, very, uh, you know, just friendly and like down to earth. They understood the business. They actually used our product and we just said, you know what, let's, let's, uh, let's engage with these guys and, and see what they can do. And, and, um, around that time we started having, we started having interest from, from different players in, in the category. And so what happened was they just ended up putting together a, a process that, you know, said, um, here's where the business is. If you have interest, we need a term sheet. And one thing led to another. And, and so became the exit of SkySig. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much, Sam, for sharing all this with with us. And so it's it's been great. And there's been some time now. What 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 have you been up to? What's your what's your new venture? Sure. So I took a few months. I mean, the the, the exit was was long and dawning, and and um, it took it took all of about a year to really wind down and and um, dot all the i's and cross the t's and kind of start over and what I've been into sense of I've uh, I've become a partner or actually I found co-founded and, and partner in a, a business called SmartMat which is the first interactive yoga mat and that's been that's been a a, a long very aggressive road that um from basically concept to product development we just had a Indiegogo crowdfunding launch last October and uh, we went to CES in Las Vegas just a couple of weeks ago and had a, a tremendous response and, and success. Actually, VentureBeat had us as the standout product at CES. So tremendous honor and, um, and just another, you know, right back, right back into the, the, the uh, spin of things. But, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just, um, it's just great to do business and especially on an international level and collaborate with like-minded people. So I think once it's in your blood, like, it's never not, not this point now. It's not about the exit. It's about just building cool things and and working with great teams. And and um, I hope I have that for a very long time. Yeah, that's that's really that's really cool, man. Yeah, you're definitely. It's it's true. It's totally addicting. And and uh, I've also been seeing the news about about SmartMat, and I'm really excited for you guys. So that that's great. And uh, if anybody wants to maybe reach out, how how should they? Uh, Go about contacting you or, or checking out your your business. Uh, sure, I mean anyone can reach me at my at my business email for SmartMat, which is um, that's the easiest one to give out. Anyways, is Sam at SmartMat.com. I I answer all 100 of my emails every single day. Some point that might be unsustainable, but for now, <laughs> for now that's the routine. So um, yeah, I would love to in- engage and interact or answer any questions that any of the listeners have. Great. Okay, and that that's a wrap. Thanks so much, Sam. 
Thank you, Sam, so much for coming on the show and sharing. He is full steam ahead on his newest venture. They mentioned at the end there is Smart Matt, and they had an amazing show at the CES in Las Vegas earlier this year. So I hope everybody enjoyed that, and uh, feedback's always appreciated. I'm kind of working on about one show a month here, and uh, you know, getting quality guests like Sam and relating to China and China business. So discuss with some few others and definitely stay tuned and subscribed for future updates. Thanks again for listening and have a great day out there. Hopefully one day you can be part of the next SkySig. Let's just stay positive and stay motivated.